This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Hired.com is offering a new freelancing and contracting offering. They have multiple companies that will provide you with contract opportunities. They cover all the tracking, reporting, and billing for you. They handle all the collections and pre-fund your paycheck. They offer legal, accounting, and tax support. And they'll give you $1,000 when you've been on a contract for 90 days. But with this link, they'll double it to $2,000 instead. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Freelancer Show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 218 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Jonathan Stark. Hello. Philip Morgan. Hey there. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. We'll just jump right into it. Jonathan suggested this topic. I think his exact words were, let me read it from Skype, I've been on a tear lately about why people shouldn't agree to project deadlines. We could talk about that, but I can't remember if we already did in the last couple of weeks, which we haven't. So... Deadlines. Why are deadlines bad? So let me start by saying that not all deadlines are bad, but there's a specific kind of deadline that I've been talking about uh, recently. And that stems from the deadline uh, that I don't like stems from an agreement before a project starts. So when you're first talking to a prospect and you're trying to put together a proposal for them and you're settling on payment terms, Long-time dear listeners will know that I recommend asking for 100% up front. And a lot of prospects will say, well, how about we do 50% up front and 50% on delivery or sign-off? And that, that is the kind of deadline that I, I think is a bad idea for the project. And so that's what I've been talking about. It's a, uh, it's a software project deadline that is set in advance of the project even starting. So in a typical arrangement with any kind of non-trivial software project, there are at least 10 people involved. You know, you've got yourself, let's say you're the consultant or the developer or the freelancer, and then you've got the client. You might have some third parties that are involved that you have to deal with um, on the <laughs> client's behalf. And the notion that you could control any of those people's uh, responsiveness is ridiculous. I mean, it's patently absurd. So for you to say, oh, yeah, this will be done by December 1st is just insane. And it just sets the wrong tone for the engagement, I think. And also, if you do tie your second payment or any payment really to that delivery date, then it creates at least a couple of problems. One being that it's going to put pressure on everyone to sign off on the project before it's actually done. And it creates this sort of arbitrary incentive. It's, it's a phony goal. The real goal is to achieve the desired project outcome. And if the deadline is arbitrary and, you know, is, is something that was put in place by the, or something that was suggested by the client, thinking that it will help motivate people because people seem to respond to achieving deadlines, then that, that's just bad for everybody. I have a uh, story. Yeah, please. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the way you were talking about it, where you can't control this, 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 or this, I was sitting there and I was like, yeah, I had that project. So I think it was two years ago, there was a company based here in Utah that there were other red flags too. I shouldn't have taken the contract, but they decided that they wanted to do phase one and phase two concurrently. And I'm sure... Jonathan's like throwing up <laughs> or something. Yeah. But yeah. So yeah, uh, one comes before two. It's kind of like a numbers thing. <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we were the lucky ones. So they, they were already rolling on phase one. So we were going to work on phase two. And phase two involved interfacing with their bank, which was Wells Fargo. And it, in, it also involved interfacing with their payment gateway, which was some company down in Las Vegas that I had never heard of before. And there were a few other things that we had to get done. So we had all of these people that were basically affecting our outcome. And when I was negotiating the contract, basically, first of all, it was hourly. So yeah, you can choke on that too, Jonathan. But um, <laughs> anyway, when I was negotiating it, basically, I sat down with the team lead for phase one and I said, look, I said, phase two only involves these three pieces of code classes if you're a programmer, but these three uh, pieces of code, they were models in Ruby on Rails. So don't change those. Or if you're going to change those, then let's sit down and make sure that we're working concurrently to make sure that your changes don't affect ours. And they said, oh yeah, we'll definitely do that. And then about a month later, they went and they completely revamped all three of those models and totally messed us up. And so we spent probably an extra three weeks working the kinks out of that. Plus, as you can imagine, working with Wells Fargo to try and figure out how to do money transfers through their system, which involved FTP and a file format that I still can't remember the name of, that was basically a binary format because it was created back when you had to push bits over telephone lines, and so it was really low bandwidth. So it was designed for all of that, and they just hadn't updated it. So by the time we figured all that out, we had promised to get it done by the end of the year. We started it in like September or August, and... By the beginning of December, we were we had just barely figured out what was going on with Wells Fargo. And then the other issue was, was that their payment processor had an API, but they couldn't actually give us realistic documentation on it. So they sent us the documentation they had, and then we had to basically figure out how to work with it from there. All of their programmers were Java programmers, so they really couldn't offer us any help as far as how to structure the thing. And the data formats weren't what they told us they were. So we agreed up front to getting this project done. But in all reality, I mean, everything that could possibly go wrong because it was out of our control actually did. And if we hadn't promised that deadline, then we could have actually just sat down and said, look, here are the issues. You know, and when we tried that, it was way too late. But, mm -hmm. you know, they were they were unhappy with the deadline they were unhappy with the amount of money they had spent. And in the end, we had just gotten to the point where we were figuring out what we needed to do for phase two to finish mm. it. So, yeah, I mean, agreeing to the deadline, yeah, they weren't happy about the money they spent, but the deadline was just, it was like the the final nail in the coffin. It was just, a, it was done. Mm. They came in and uh, we did a bunch of work for free to try and make it better. And eventually they just fired us. Yeah. The problem with the deadline is it's a very binary thing. You either hit it or you didn't. And once it's out there, I don't care how many caveats you put in front of it, it's going to float up the chain to someone who wasn't in, in the conversation. They're going to say, oh, it's going to be done on December 1st. So we're going to start making plans based on that fact. And they make other plans to, you know, whatever, move on to the next thing or do some big sales launch or something. And are, they are understandably miffed when the deadline gets missed. And since, you know, in, in your case or in anybody's case where they agree to that 
that line in the sand, it, you're setting yourself up for failure. You're setting up the project team for a lot of agita, anger, recriminations, finger pointing, a lot of bad emotions because you agreed to something that you have really no control over whatsoever. The CEO of the client could not force all of these parties to hit the deadline. He could fire people. He can yell at people. He can do things all day long, but he can't he can't even guarantee that the project's going to hit that deadline because there are too many people involved, too many unknowns. So for one person on the outside to, to like say, yeah, I can, I can control this beast. I, there's no way. Now that said, there are a bunch of sort of caveats to this. I've, I've learned in the last couple of weeks that people quickly leap to Starks against deadlines of any kind. And that's not the case. I'm talking about this very specific kind of project deadline that gets set before the project even starts. There are other kind of deadlines that I think are fine and do motivate people. Um, when you have really, really short deadlines like uh, weekly or, or you know, two-week-long sprints and there are very clear features or tasks that need to be completed that don't involve lots of people. So, you know, there's, you know, you, you get your task list for the week. There are maybe a couple of questions that you need to get answered during the stand-up. And then you pretty much can estimate how long it's going to take you to do this one feature. Most, most times, barring the situation where, you know, like you guys said, where the data format was undefined and they were changing the models underneath you, that stuff still happens. But it's, it's reasonable to imagine somebody saying, ah, it's going to take me about this long to create this controller and have it debugged. You know, because there's not a lot of moving parts. They're not, you're not sitting around waiting for it. As soon as you are sitting around waiting for someone else to get back to you, especially if they're from the client. So, oh, I need this FTP information before I can do my next thing. I'm blocked. Or I need access to the GitHub repo for the client's GitHub account. If you have any of those blocking things, the client is almost always the slowest party involved in any of this, barring, I guess, third parties are also pretty bad, you know, like Wells Fargo in your case. But the, the client in my experience, there's never anybody at the client whose full-time job is to get this project done. And the consultant, or in my case, it usually is my full-time job to get this client done. So I'm almost always faster than they are. And they go on vacation or they get pulled away to put out some other fire and so, you know, some other aspect of the organization. And it's, it's common for two weeks to go by and me to not have login information that I need or not have image files that I need. And I'm sure everybody listening to this has had this experience. And if you adhere to my principles in general, you won't care about this anymore because you've either been paid up front or you're going to be paid on a schedule that is disconnected from the delivery or the sign off or the completion or whatever you want to call it. And it's, it's fine. Like it's fine that the customer's slow. It's, you know, it, if you didn't commit to the project will be done on this date. And if it's not done on this date, people can start yelling at me. Another thing that comes up a lot is timelines. I think timelines are perfectly fine because they are, if done right, they are kind of like a list of things that we do know we need to do. And the amount of time that you put in the schedule for each one of those things, you know, if you imagine like a Gantt chart with dependencies, you, it's a, a very visual way to present the complexity and just craziness of a project. And 
And if you are on a weekly basis, yeah, because you should have lots of communications with clients during a project like this, on a weekly basis, if you're updating that timeline and it's constantly in flux and you never initially agreed to the date that, you know, initially was at the end of that timeline, then it's just so obvious to everyone that it's an elastic type of thing and that, and that usually the way I present it is the timeline, this is the minimum possible amount of time that this thing will take. It will surely increase. There's no way it will not increase. But, it, you know, it's going to take at least three months to do this. And as, as things happen, because things always happen, I will adjust the timeline so you can see how far it's pushing us out. So you can make other plans, you know. You can, if you do have a big marketing push or a sales meeting or something, you can see, you can watch and see how the project is expanding as we go through it. And that also puts incentive on them most of the things will be their fault. And so it puts incentive on them to start putting pressure on, you know, for the higher ups to put pressure on the lower downs to uh, either, hey, get that stuff to them. Or the higher ups will say, yeah, we were going to have, you know, our lead dev dedicated to this, but things keep coming up and we know it's our fault and blah, 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 blah. You, so you, if you're having that weekly conversation around a timeline that didn't have a, you know, a, a date that you agreed to, it seemed, in my experience, it has solved all of those negative emotional problems associated with, a, a, you know, a big software project. So one one thing that I see here as far as one of the what ifs that I wanted to share, because I, I definitely see what you're saying. However, I've had clients come to me that basically said, we have the big industry show coming up in, in a few months and we need this project to be done by then so that we can show it as part of our software suite or part of what we offer to our customers. So how do you deal with that where there actually is sort of a drop dead, it has to be done by then, or we at least need something to show by then? Mm, yeah, that's, that's my one big caveat. That's the one time I will agree to a deadline when it's not arbitrary. So there's some immovable event like the presidential election or the Olympics or a Salesforce, you know, their annual conference and you're going to do a demo or TechCrunch disrupt. Like these things do happen. I understand that. And in those cases, I will not agree to a specific scope of work. And I will say, so first of all, I will be, it's highly likely that I won't take the project. There needs to be some, I need to have some reason to believe that an MVP, perhaps not the entire thing, but an MVP that I see as beneficial could definitely be done by that time or things that are solely within my control could be done by that time. So I'll say something like, all right, we, I understand that you obviously you can't move the Olympics. You need to have this done before the Olympics. So you've got this vision for the project. There are a million moving parts here that I have no control over whatsoever. So I, I really can't give you any guarantee that we'll hit by then. What I could guarantee though, is that I could have these three key features working and demoable on my server at my domain name. And that, that proof of concept, if that would be good enough for your, you know, your presentation at the Olympics or at TechCrunch Disrupt or whatever it is, then I've got enough control over those things that I could say, okay, we can, we can do at least this. We'll try to do, we'll try to get it on your server. We'll try to get the 10 top features instead of the three top features. But I just won't agree to, I, I will not agree to any specifics of the scope, if you see what I mean. So when you're talking though about those 10, I, I'm, I'm going to ask about a dozen questions about this, but 
So let's say that there is something like this where, yeah, it's a big conference. We stand to make, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars because we're going to bring customers in, high-end customers that are going to pay us a lot of money for what we're offering. So how, how do you agree to maybe those three features? How, you know, you, how much margin do you put on that? So let's say it's in three months. Do you just commit to a month's worth of work just because you figure that, you know, that, that margin is then plenty to make sure that you will absolutely deliver on those three features and then maybe features four and five get slipped in there too and maybe not? Uh, that's a good question. Usually when I quote it, I'm quoting it based on the overall value of the entire thing being completed. Uh, there's, I've never been on one where the project didn't need to exist after the event. So it's always something right. like, you know, like it could be something like, well, we, we need voter registration thing for presidential election. It needs to be done in two weeks. And after November, it doesn't matter. And we could throw it out. I've never done a project like that. And I probably wouldn't. Right. So yeah. you quote the whole project, but I when you agree thing, to the right? deadline, do you agree to just what you know you can get done and or what you think you can get done in half the time because you know you'll be able to get it done in the entire time? Yeah. In a sense, it's almost like two projects with a phase one in a phase two baked in. So I'll say, look, you know, we've got three months before the event. I am highly confident, you know, this is, we've had a conversation. We've talked about a lot of features. Of course, I'm also going to be talking about the ultimate goals and all of that stuff. Right. But along the way you talk about features and their vision for the product, if it's like a SaaS or some kind of website. And I'll say, all right, look, I see your ultimate goal and we can get there we will not get there before the date. You're because their their timelines in the in a situation like this, their timelines are always ridiculously aggressive. Mm -hmm. So I'll say, there's no, this cannot be done the way that you're describing it in the timeline. Full stop. And if you if that's if if you want to get something done before that date, we can prioritize these features together and say, okay, here's what an MVP. I'll, I'll start. I think these are the most important features. I, I can get these done. And host it on my server or something like, you know, something I have control over. I can get these done and hosted for you. It might not be on your domain. There might be, it might not be SSL or it might not be, there, there could be a million things, right? But I'll say these big, these, the, the 80% of the value creating or the 20% that creates the 80% of the value, I'm sure that I can, or I'm confident that I can get these done within three months at, you know, two weeks out from the event or some, you know, as the event approaches, we're going to do a code freeze and we're going to go into QA mode because we want this thing to be rock solid for the presentation or whatever it is. And uh, at the end of that, then, you know, we'll get through that. I'll, I'll be on call during the event to make sure if anything surprising happens that I can fix it on the fly. And then after the event, we'll just pick up where we left off. And we'll get down to the end and you find, you know, the product will then be hosted on your site. And if we have to migrate users from my database to your database, okay, fine. But the value that the price that I would base it on is the ultimate value. For the, you know, I always do the same thing. It's like the annualized, the first year value of the project divided by 10. So it wouldn't be based on just hitting that one deadline and then stopping. So it's kind of like two phases, really. That makes sense. I think I've been hogging the mic. Philip, you were trying to get in, I think, at one point. I was earlier, I was gonna ask, like, I think I think it's helpful to understand like why you do something that's a bad habit. <laughs> so Jonathan, why do you 
Why do you see developers like agree to deadlines, even if they know full well that they're not realistic? Because customers ask for it and, and developers typically don't have the confidence to say no or they don't have the, you know, they, they haven't learned their lines. Mm. So how, as I say, they, ha- they don't know how to respond to that question other than to say yes or no. And mm-hmm. if I see it all the time, people are like, they'll, you know, you could probably find this on clients from hell. There's probably a list of these where somebody says, you know, some developers like, you know, crabbing online about the these people that are totally unrealistic about the deadline. There's no way it could be done in it. Well, well, did you say no? Well, no, I need the money. So I, I agreed to it. And mm-hmm. there's like, there's a middle way, which is to, is to explain to the client, I understand why you want a deadline, but neither one of us is actually in control of it in a meaningful way. So instead, let's talk about achieving the goals and achieving them on a timeline so that you can have a sense of organization and a sense of control. And you can see into the future a little bit, you know, a quarter, let's say, or two quarters ahead of time. So you can, you know, you can plan because they have to set budgets. They have to, they have to decide who they're going to hire, when they're going to hire them. There's a reason why they want to know when it's done, but the fact it doesn't, it doesn't change the reality, which is that people can't, there's no one person who can control it. Mm. And another another big factor is that a lot of times clients are asking for a deadline because you charge by the hour. And to them, that's like there's some correlation that if they go past the deadline, they're going to go over budget. Oh, so it's, it's like, like it's like a not to exceed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. a soft not to exceed. Yeah. So if you take if you take hourly out of the equation, in my experience, clients are a lot quicker to agree to or a lot less demanding about having a specific deadline because they are no longer worried about the budget because you've given them a price and like, oh, this price seems fair. It'd be great to have it done faster. And it's in Stark's best interest to get it done faster because then he's made more money in a shorter time. So effective hourly rate is much higher. And everybody, everybody wants it done faster and we'll get it done as fast as we can. Do you think there's a sort of like you're, you're, I feel like the, the deadline or the timeline discussion comes up before you've been hired. And Mm -hmm. so it's easy to see it as a, like a part of being competitive for the job is promising or or is agreeing to like an unrealistic deadline. I I think that's part of the mentality. And I'm drawing my, on my own experience here, like where I've, I thought, yeah, you know, this is going to help help me get this if I can promise that it'll be done quickly. So it's, it does seem to be kind of very inexorably linked with hourly billing and and those concepts. Maybe, so maybe if we exhaust this topic a little bit, we might talk about negotiation. It just seems to be like it's wrapped up in negotiation and maybe inappropriately so because it's not something that should be negotiated. It sounds like Right. I, I mean, it's like a, the example I use is a bride coming to a wedding planner and asking the wedding planner to guarantee it'll be sunny on her wedding. It's it's like, <laughs> I understand why you want that and I wish I could guarantee it, but I can't. But you know what I can do? I can come up with six contingency plans for if it rains, if it snows, if there's a sandstorm, if there's a tornado. And we can have all that stuff planned out if you want, but I can't guarantee you it's going to be sunny. It's not that much of an exaggeration. Right. I mean, a deadline on, a, on any non-trivial software project that's going to take three to six months or longer, 
in, unless you are going to do a massive waterfall planning phase up front, there is no way. And even then, I think it's ridiculous. But but still, there's this thing where humans just, in order for management to make a decision about whether or not they want to go forward on the project, there could be deadline-related or timeline-related factors that invalidate the project. So if you're trying to capture some market opportunity that you believe is going to disappear in six months and you go out and either, you know, either I won't tell you when it's going to be done or somebody says that, oh, it's going to take longer than that for it to be done, then then it might invalidate the reason for the project. So, but to your point about negotiation, sometimes you should say no to clients who are just either won't budge on this or won't see the reality of the fact that you can't control it, especially as like a, a solo outsider. If they are just not cool with that, then you're probably not the right person for them. And there probably is no right person for them. So just say no. Yeah, I, I think there's there's a lot of sort of willful ignorance, I guess is the right word. Like if you really look at it from a logical perspective, it's clear you can't control when it's going to be done. It's too complex for that. It's not an assembly line. It's, you know, it's, it's building something new that hasn't existed before in a complex environment. Yeah, I, I keep thinking about that statistic about the percentage of IT projects that fail, which is somewhere between 50 and 70 percent, depending on who you ask. Mm. And it makes me think that something about this is related to that, <laughs> that high failure of, of IT projects. Yeah, there's another statistic that f- roughly 50 percent of software projects go over budget by 100%. So I think all of this is tied together. I think that the billing approach, you know, if you're billing by the hour, that has a lot to do with it. The failure statistic, I think, it a lot of times, I'm just, this is just gut instinct, but a lot of times I think that in those cases, a success metric hasn't been clearly defined. So it can only fail. So if, if, if no clear outcome is defined, then it's going to be considered a failure by the person who paid for it even if the goals that they requested were achieved, like if every little task that they told you to do, you did, at the end it could still be considered a failure. They might not blame you, but they might regret spending the money because it didn't achieve some goal that they never actually stated. Mm-hmm. So I would say, I would love to know, this is not probably not part of the data behind that statistic, but it's like, well, how many of these actually had a success criteria? Probably not all of them. And I, I'm even going to say probably not half of them, which would explain why so many fail. It's like if you if you don't know what winning looks like, you can't you can do nothing but fail, you know. And then if you fail, then the client's going to regret having spent the money. <laughs> yeah, I can also see somebody uh, coming to this and saying, "Well, I know that it's not a good idea to accept this deadline because I have no control over it." However. I also really, really need the money, so I'm just going to work my tail off and make sure that I hit the deadline. Break the chain of abuse, Chuck. I know. <laughs> it feels like such a terrible idea when I say it, but... Well, here's the problem. It, that's, that's very real, of course. I mean, the, problem, the, the solution to that is not to work your tail off and hit the deadline, which, again, you're still just rolling the dice. Basically, what you're saying is, I'll take the risk. And, and I'll take the, when it blows up in my face, I'll just deal with that then. The solution to having to take on projects like that is, well, there's really two. One is to have some runway so you don't have to take bad jobs. 
and you know savings or cash flow or some kind of recurring right. revenue or something like that. And the other is to have a pipeline that's packed full of leads. Cue Philip. <laughs> yeah, I was going to cue myself on that, and I'm like, geez, do I do I sound to people like a broken record? But yeah, the saying I don't know who said it, it's you know sales cures all ills. Basically, having more opportunities coming your way is a prerequisite to being able to to negotiate from a position of strength. I mean, I've, I've been on both sides of that, and I can tell you if if saying no means you're not going to be able to make the next month's uh, rent or mortgage, you probably won't say no. Mm-hmm. Even if you if you know you should, I've I've seen very few people who can do that, unless they have savings or other opportunities they can turn to. I know exactly one person who I've ever seen do this. Do which? Say no, even when they needed the money, and I and my my name is not on that list. So <laughs> yeah, mine neither. Yeah, I've done it. Of course, I've done it. You know, if you you end up, it ends up getting you over the hump. It's a cash flow thing. It gets you over the cash flow hump until you get to like your business could be doing fine, but you need that money spread out, you know? So like if I have a, you know, $150,000 a month at the end of the year, that doesn't really help me in March of the previous, you know, the previous March, you know, you need that money kind of spread out. And if for whatever reason you've got, you know, we had a house fire one year and I had to spend about $50,000 out of pocket while we waited for the insurance to come in. That was a rough year cash flow wise. So it ended up being totally normal year, but I just had this huge cost in the middle of the year that was unexpected. And, you know, did I take stuff? I, I'm sure I, I don't remember specifically, but I'm sure I would have been, if I didn't take on a job because even that had red flags or whatever, I'm, I sure, I'm sure I would have because yeah. look, you know, it's a single, single income household, you got to keep the lights on. Yeah, there's a lot of emotion that goes into it. And yeah, you may not wind up being happy with it, but yeah, I, I also can see that if you can avoid making the condition, you know, that deadline, condition of success, if at all possible, especially where you have less and less control over the project, then you're going to be happier. But at the same time, I can also see that sometimes you feel like you've got your back up against the wall and you've got no choice. You know, I, that gives me a great idea for a future episode. We should, we should cover like some ideas for sort of bootstrapping recurring revenue or ways that, you know, freelancers who are in that, that terribly weak uh, bargaining position could start to work their way out. I mean, I know the ultimate answer is get a better pipeline and, you know, uh, increase the value of the services you deliver so you can charge more for them. But I bet there's some pretty interesting kind of short-term strategies we could look at that might be worth talking about. Anyway, that's a tangent, but an idea for a future episode. Yeah, I've, do, I've got at least, I can think of a half a dozen of those that I've used in the past to deal with cash flow issues. Nice, nice. So one thing I'm wondering is, let's say that you have a client, it's a really interesting job, you really want to get the the work, you think that there are some benefits to it, but they are insisting on this arbitrary deadline and you're not quite sure you can make it. Do you just say no? I mean, is that the answer or is there more nuance to it? I, you know, I'd be happy if I could, if I didn't have to say no. I would not agree to it. If I, you know, it's, it's a question of how much risk. So there's the the sort of $3 amounts that are associated with a project proposal. There's the cost to me 
how much it's going to cost. At, at what point do I feel like I'm losing money on this project? At what point right. do I wish I hadn't taken it? You know, like there's a dollar amount that's like the least amount of money I would take for this project is 50 grand. It's just not even worth it to me. And that cost is totally subjective and situational. So like, in, you know, a month after my house caught on fire, the least amount of money I would take for a project probably dropped from $50,000 to $25,000 because I've got a different kind of motivation. But that's, I mean, cost to you is totally subjective. It's not the same all the time. It's not just how much time it's going to take you to do it. It's how badly you need the cash flow. It's how stressful the client is that can increase your cost. It could, there's a million, there's, well, there's not a million, there's about five factors. And then there's the, on the other end of the spectrum, there's the value to the client. Also a completely subjective situational number. That's very squishy. It's both of them are very squishy, but if they're really far apart, then you can pick a, a dollar amount in the middle that is agreeable to both parties. And that's what you, that's the price that you set. So, you know, depending on the situation, I might say, okay, they really want this deadline that puts more pressure and risk on me. And if we miss it, my life's going to be, you know, basically hell until we finish because they're just going to be freaking out. But I've done that before when I, back when I built, build hourly, when I was, you know, working in a firm, every single project went over budget and over deadline, every single one, it was very rare for them to not go over. So I know how to do it. It's just a super drag, you know, you either eat hours, you make concessions, you have angry phone calls, but you know, but I can pay my contractor. So, you know, to do that, I mean, yeah. to fix the house. So you just, you just weigh all that in a normal situation, in a normal year, I would just say no, if I could not make them see the light and the way that I would try to make them see the light is to reason with them. Not that I am trying to wiggle out of the deadline, but, you know, wiggle out of a commitment to a deadline, but just make it clear to them that it would be bad for them if everybody was operating under the assumption that this is going to be done on a particular date because they're going to make plans based on that date. And that is a bad idea for them. So I would just really try and say, look, it is, it is going to be detrimental to your business if me or anyone agrees to a deadline when this is going to be done because it's crazy. So to back to the wedding planner, if we just sail through life, you know, the bride just sails through the whole process leading up to the wedding, knowing that it's going to be sunny and then it rains and there are no contingency plans, that will be a disaster of a wedding because she was operating under a delusion. And that's the approach that I take the client. Like you'll be operating under a delusion if we set a date, a day that this will be done. That's delusional. And that will be bad for, you know, that's bad for the business because you're going to make plans on top of it and, and those plans will need to be postponed and blah, 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 blah. If they can't see the logic in that, then I would really prefer not to take the job at any price. Yeah, that makes sense. So in practice, when you, when you do this, Jonathan, do you have projects that like drag on for a surprising amount of time or just kind of unexpectedly and i know we've talked separately about like being disciplined about moving stuff to version two to prevent scope creep so i'm not really talking about that yeah that's different more just like wow i didn't expect that to take two years <laughs> i thought that would take nine months yeah that's happened to me that's happened to me once 
It's happened to me once. It almost happened to me twice in 10 years or 50, like since 2006. So yeah, 10 years. Mm -hmm. And in both cases, it was a fixed bid. In the one case where it went on and on and on, I honestly don't remember what the what the issue was. It just ended up being way more complicated than it appeared on the surface. And I ended up, you know, I thought it was going to be a year-long project and I priced it that way. It ended up being a, a two-year-long project. And, you know, I whatever, I just had to do it. So I made half as much money as I thought I would. But still, it was a really big payday. The reasons, the, and the reasons why it dragged on, I re, this is going back so far that I only have a kind of impressionistic feeling for it, of what it was. But I can remember late nights writing some of the most complicated scripting routines I had ever conceived of. So I, I think, I think I probably, you know, there was probably a bullet point, you know, a bullet point requirement, like we need this report to work. And I was like, yeah, okay, it's just another report. It couldn't take me more than a couple of weeks, but it ended up taking me 12 months or something. Because sometimes a report will like change the fundamental, like the fundamental nature of how you store the data. And I can't remember exactly, but I remember being like, oh my God, this is a monster. This little requirement that I, I glossed over is a monster. But that's so rare. It's so rare. And I will also hasten to add that back then I, I would have agreed to like a scope, a document that said it'll have this feature, this feature, this feature, and this feature, instead of saying that this new system will achieve these goals for you. So it's possible that the report that I struggled with to create could have been solved in some other way, you know, so apply your sort of developer judo to it and say, oh yeah, uh, this report's going to be really hard. There's probably another way that we can get this information, this knowledge to you that doesn't require this report. Let's talk about that and kind of do an end run around it. Yeah. You know, I, th I think part of the concern about an uncertain end date is like, when can I, uh, and I think this applies for, you know, an agency with multiple people or, or a solo person. It's like, when can I start the next thing? That seems like that, that casts a doubt on when you could start the next thing. And maybe yeah. it's, you just know when you know, but what's been your experience with that? That's where the timeline comes in. So in the beginning, you'll have a timeline and it will be growing very quickly. It will be expanding very quickly, but that decreases over time. It tends to decrease over time. So you start to get more and more of a sense of completion or roughly when it's going to be completed. And I, I mean, in general, I think scheduling software projects back to back is crazy for this exact reason. It's like, you, you just, it's not a good idea. You know, it's like, sit still for a second, start to achieve some of the value from this first thing. And, you know, when you're, when you're sure that the lake is frozen, then you can go out and play hockey, but let's not push it. You know what I mean? Let's not risk it and like base a whole bunch of new stuff on this thing that where the, the cement's not even dry or the lake's not frozen. You got to wait for it to set, you know? So some, and, and some clients are like, no, we want to move fast and break things. And I'm like, all right, you're not my client. So I'm going to try to attract clients that have a going concern, you know, not like a startup that's just hoping to get acquired by Facebook and build these things as fast as you can, fast, 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 fast. And they're constantly pivoting and changing direction and changing priorities. That's a nightmare. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, I like stable businesses that have you know good annual revenue and they know exactly what they want to do to tweak the you know to turn the dials to move the needles all that stuff. So they're like they've got a business that's been around. They're doing whatever ten million and you know in revenue annually, and they know from experience that if they could decrease their churn. That would increase their annual revenue by a million dollars if they could just decrease churn by five percent. And you're not going to get those kind of you're not going to get that kind of knowledge or self awareness from a business that's you know some guy who thinks he's going to make a fortune with an uh, an iPhone app and he wants you to swoop in and build it for him to his specifications. And the good news is there's plenty of those kinds of companies out there. (laughs) Tons, tons, tons. There are. About six, one company per 60 humans on the planet. That's crazy. Oh, wow. So in the U.S., there are probably around 30 million companies, like businesses in the U.S., and about 99% of those are small SMEs or SMBs. Mm. And not all of those are startups. So again, plenty of fish in the sea that don't have crazy expectations about timelines and that kind of, that kind of thing. Yeah, I did a talk in Las Vegas recently on positioning. I was kind of singing Philip's song. And just as an example, Chuck will appreciate this, I used dentists as the vertical. And I said, <laughs> just, just out of curiosity, before, you know, I'm saying to the audience, just out of curiosity, before this talk, I knew I was going to talk about dentists as my example vertical. And I just did a search for dentists near me. There were 10 dentists within walking distance of the hotel that I was in. And then I did a search for dentists in my hometown. There were a hundred that came up a hundred before I stopped paging through the results. There were a hundred in Providence, little teeny Providence, Rhode Island. And there's something like a hundred thousand in the whole U S which actually seemed less than I, it was fewer than I expected, but still a hundred thousand in the United States. If you got a 10th of a percentage point of that, you'd be bit, you'd have a killer year. Yep. You know, there's tons of them. Yeah, I, I can't go into the math right now, but uh, a, a market size that has about a thousand potential clients in it turns out to be for a lot of uh, a lot. Of, I'll say for solo freelancers, that tends to be about the right size market. So you kind of contrast that against the hundred thousand. Did you say in the U.S. or not? Yeah, yeah, in the that US. Sounds, yeah, that's you know you would have to specialize for that to not be too big of a market. Yeah, you'd have to go to like Endodontis or, or, mm-hmm. or the, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I was recently visiting my brother in Alameda and we walked down the street and I swear it was one block and there were like five or ten dentists on that one block. <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, we have in my neighborhood, there are a lot of dentists, and but there are all different kinds. It's like oral surgeon and orthodontist and general dentistry. There's a, a ton of different kinds and I'm sure they all have different you know, needs like orthodontists probably have a lot of kids and oral surgeons, you know, I'm guessing have uh, an older clientele or cosmetic. There's a bunch of cosmetic dentists around too. I'm sure they all have different needs and different, I'm sure there's lots of overlap, but that they have subtle differences between the, the dials that they want to turn on their business. Yep. Another fun fact is that Utah Valley, which is where I live, which encompasses most of Utah County has the highest number of dentists per capita in the U (laughs) S yeah. My dad picked a saturated market to move to. <laughs> oh, your dad's a dentist, Chuck. Yeah, ah. that, that's why I always use that example is because I'm thinking about it on occasion. Oh, if Dad would just do this, then it would. Anyway, yeah. Back back to deadlines. I mean, it's just 
it's it's an easy trap to fall into because you want to make your client happy. And right. You want to make your bride happy and give her a sunny wedding day. That's right. But yeah, you have to account for all of the risk involved. Yeah, yeah and I, I think that's what I was getting at, that that idea that it's mixed up in the negotiation where you really are trying to package things in a way that's attractive. But yeah, if, if you're, anyway, yeah, we kind of have covered that already. Agreed. There are a bunch of things that happen in the negotiation phase, sort of the, the getting to know you phase that set the tone for everything. And there are a bunch of questions that are super common and I suggest to people to, you know, as I say, learn your lines, have an answer for these things. You know, like when someone says immediately, what's your rate? Or could you just give us a ballpark? Or, you know, when is it going to be done? These questions come up every single time and you just need to come up. You just have to have like your little pat answer and go with it. And if you can present that to them in a reasonable way and not a sort of uh, combative way, then you will raise their eyebrows. They'll go, huh, this person's different. You know, I think I, I have a, one of my most retweeted tweets is about, more or less it says, if you let your clients push you around in the sales process, it should come as no surprise when they push you around during the project. And everybody complains about being pushed around during the project, but guess what? You probably were a pushover in the sales process too. So what that does is it sets the wrong tone, first of all. And second of all, it probably in a lot of cases gets you into client relationships that you shouldn't be in. So good clients, clients who otherwise would have been good, you can set the tone in a way that positions you as a, a trusted advisor and an expert and an authority. And clients who are actually horrible clients, you'll scare them away by not being a pushover during the sales process. So it protects you against the bad clients and it makes your good clients more successful because they can kind of focus on what they're good at and they'll stay out of your business while you focus on what you're good at. And, and everybody ends up being so much happier the whole way through. This is something I don't talk about much, but there's like this emotional component to the kind of work that we do and not billing by the hour, not agreeing to deadlines just creates this, it's so much more cordial is the only word I can think of. It's just nicer. So it's kind of a intangible, but it's extremely, it's extremely black and white. My brain is digesting everything you just said. <laughs> That's what that rumbling sound is. <laughs> <laughs> it, it doesn't work very often, so the, the gears grinding, yeah. Anything else that we should talk about with deadlines before we get to picks? I feel like there's this, like, it, it, it feels connected to this larger issue of negotiating from a position of strength, which feels connected to, you know, marketing in a way that sets you up for that. And mm-hmm. But, but yeah, I feel like we probably don't have the time to really talk about the other sort of negotiating issues. Yeah. It gets back to the, you know, are you an expert or are you a pair of hands? Right. Well, and I think we did kind of go into when you're negotiating, when you're setting up the project that, yeah, you know, you explain why you don't want to have that deadline, you know, what the downsides are. Mm -hmm. And I mean, ultimately I like the way that you explained it, Jonathan, where it's not just, well, I don't want to do deadlines because they're hard or because mm-hmm. I don't like them. It's because 
you're going to plan on that deadline and then something's going to come up and we're all going to be left kind of running around trying to make the best of a situation that we never thought we'd be in. Right. Exactly. I always, so I, I always, this is worth mentioning before we go to picks of all, of all the things that I advise people to do. So if I'm explaining, you know, if I'm explaining to you, Chuck, like this is how you should, this is the way you should organize your business to maximize your happiness and your profitability and all that stuff. People will kind of tend to focus on that and they'll just be like when they get, when they're new to it and they are talking to a client kind of like be, I don't agree to deadlines because Stark said that's a bad idea. But when I'm actually talking to a client, I never get into this is, I never do this thing like, well, it's just the way I do it. It's always because all of those things also are beneficial for the customer. And that's what I focus on when I'm talking to them. So, you know, oh, you don't have an hour. You, what's your rate? I don't have a rate because it's bad for you. Well, when's it going to be done by? I can't set a deadline because that's bad for you. And I explain, and I explain why and what that does is it's like, wow, this guy, if you can do a good job explaining it and it clicks with them, it's going to make them just like, geez, this guy totally knows what's up. And yeah, we wanted a deadline, but we also want somebody who knows what's up. So, and, and it also, it puts like, uh, when they go to all these other people and they say, oh, what's your rate? And the people say hundred bucks an hour and they say, when's it going to be done? They say, well, it'll be done on December 1st. Now it th- and, and once they've spoken to me, it throws all of that other stuff into like into question. Like, well, how do they know it's going to be on, done on December first? In light of what Stark told us, that seems crazy. Like, how could they possibly guarantee that? And the most hilarious thing in the world would be if they went back to those people and were like, "Well, how how are you going to control all these factors?" To, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. It like puts everybody else's proposal or estimate into question when you have clearly thought it through more than anybody else and clearly put more, put the client first more than anybody else instead of what everyone else is doing, which is just saying, yeah, I need the money. I'll say whatever I want to get the money. All right. Well, let's go ahead and hit some picks. Philip, do you have some picks for us? You know, I was thinking about this and I was like, oh no, I don't have any picks this week. It's because I took some time off this past week. Good for you. (laughs) Took Friday and Monday off. In fact, I'm doing that for August. I'm taking uh, kind of compressing my work week into three three days and taking off Fridays and Mondays. So I guess that's my pick, is taking time off. Now, you may say, you may say to yourself, Philip, you seem like a successful guy who takes lots of time off. And in fact, I have been like working my ass off building my business over the last two years. So I have not done that. And I've, I've got a uh, an elderly dog. I, I like to do what I can to make sure the rest of his life is good. So I haven't traveled much. So I'm kind of like a, a newbie with this, and it's awesome. <laughs> it's been very restorative. I'm not, you know, I'm just a week into it, but I think it's going to be very valuable. And the interesting thing is that I, I think I get better ideas, you know, when I step away from things and I kind of get out of the fray. I've heard Jonathan say that before. Your desk is for executing and your, you know, time away from the desk is for coming up with the ideas. And I, I can start to see the wisdom in that. I think I resisted that for a while, but. I'm coming around to it, and so that's my pick for this week is taking time off intentionally to kind of restore and and you know get access to some of that uh, some of those better ideas that might be outside your uh, field of vision when you're in the fray. Cool. Yeah, I took a bit of time off last week too. I'll talk about it in a minute. Jonathan, what are your picks? Uh, just have a quick one this week, which is my 
the, the thing that got me talking about deadlines in the first place was a, a webinar I did last week or so. So folks can go to Crowdcast, what is it, dot .io? Mm-hmm. Crowdcast.io slash jstark. And you'll find the how to handle deadlines without agreeing to them webcast. It's free. So people can check that out. Nice. So yeah, so I mentioned that I took some time off last week. As many of you may or may not know, I have been a Cub Scout leader for about nine or 10 years. And I've done some training. I actually help with the monthly training at Roundtable, which is where the adult leaders are supposed to go every month to, you know, get trained, get ideas, things like that. But I had never been to Wood Badge, and Wood Badge is kind of the pinnacle of adult leader training in Boy Scouts. And so last week I went to Wood Badge, and so I mostly ignored my phone. I mostly disconnected with everything. I did check in occasionally just to make sure things weren't falling apart, which they weren't until I got back. A couple things weren't working. But anyway, it was an amazing experience. Most of the curriculum I found out was designed by Stephen Covey before he died. He worked with the BSA in order to make that happen. And it was it was just amazing. So if you are involved in Boy Scouts at all, I highly, highly recommend that you go to Wood Badge. It's a kind of leadership training that I've seen offered in other places for two, three, four, or five thousand dollars. And the cost for a Wood Badge attendee is like $130. So if you want to shortcut some of that and and get involved, it's terrific. I also uh, want to just uh, pick the Boy Scouts of America. And the place where I went, it, it's called Typhi Scout Camp. And it's up in the Mountain Dell Scout Ranch, which is above Mount Pleasant, Utah. And uh, beautiful up there. And while you're up there, you kind of get this view over the entire San Pete Valley, which is, it was just an amazing place. So uh, I'm going to pick that as well. And I'll, I'll just stop there and then I'll pick cool stuff again next week too. One other thing I want to point out is that I have Angular Remote Conf, React Remote Conf, and Rails Remote Conf coming up. So if you do any of those as part of your freelancing, then go check those out. And uh, yeah, with that, we'll go ahead and wrap the show up. Thank you both for coming. We'll catch everyone next week. Adios. Yeah. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.